Hi everyone, I'm Jeffrey Smith and I'm with the Institute for Responsible Technology and my very good friend, Ken Roseborough, who I adore, who's been a, a pillar in communicating the information about GMOs and Roundup to the world, is joining us today. Ken, I always like to tell what you do, but I want you to tell what you do. Tell us what, tell, tell everyone what you do and then we're going to dive into some really good news. Okay, great to be with you, Jeffrey, as always. Um, so, yeah, my name is Ken Roseborough. I'm the editor, publisher of the Organic and Non-GMO Report. We've been focusing on the organic non-GMO markets and the G concerns around GMOs for the past 20 years, um, since 2001. Um, we also published a directory of suppliers of non-GMO and organic grains and ingredients called the non-GMO source book, the only directory that's kind in the world. So, that's so can you, you, you know, I, um, I like to pull people into interviews and whatnot, uh, get to the source, speak to the actual scientists. And I always find that you do that more often than I do. You have me beat there because you're you're just producing article after article. And as a as a trained journalist, you actually get in there and get quotes from people and get the thing all the time. And I like to do that, but I'm I just look at you and go, oh, I wish I had time for like 10 days. You know, you're just all you're doing is publishing uh, uh, constantly all the time. So I, don't, I know you don't have a ton of time. Let's let's start out with. Um, Let's start out with the Mexico thing. You, who did you interview about that? It was some very big, big wig. Yeah, I interviewed the um, vice minister of agriculture, Victor. His name is Victor Suarez. Uh, Timothy Wise connected me to him. I don't know if you know Timothy. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's written a lot about sustainability uh, or, um, issues. So he connected me with him because when I heard about this, this news about Mexico, Mexico, as you know, uh, last December announced they were going to ban glyphosate herbicide and imports of GMO corn from the United States, which immediately um, made U.S. agribusiness angry uh, because Mexico is the second largest or the, the largest market for um, U.S. corn, which is, as you know, 90 plus percent GMO. So um, when I heard about this news, I thought my one of my first thoughts was, well, this is a non-GMO opportunity for suppliers of non-GMO corn in the United States. So I told I told Timothy that, that and he connected me with Victor Suarez. And so I interviewed him by email. He he doesn't speak English, I understand. So we did an email interview. And, um, and he said that Mexico would like to import non-GMO corn from the United States. They want to, um, they want to be self-sufficient in non-GMO corn production in Mexico, but they're still going to need to import some non-GMO corn. So I um, interviewed several suppliers of non-GMO corn and non-GMO corn seed in the U.S including um, Ken Dahlmeyer from Clarkson Grain. You, you know Clarkson Grain. Oh, yeah. No Clarkson. Been, been there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, 
a man named Bill Nyber, who's from, uh, what's the name of the company? Uh, High Fidelity Genetics in Iowa. They're a non-GMO corn seed company, as well as a couple of other suppliers. Um, and they all said, yeah, we can supply Mexico. If they want non-GMO corn, we'll, we'll deliver it to them. So unlike the US agribusiness reaction to Mexico's ban, which was how, how dare they do this? They can't do this to us. We're gonna take them to court. We're gonna get the World Trade Organization after them. Uh, instead of that reaction, the non-GMO suppliers reaction was, this is an opportunity <laughs> for the US to supply them with non-GMO corn. So that's, that's where it stands. And I think Mexico could feel confident that they could find suppliers of non-GMO corn in the US. Because as you know, there are quite a few of them. Oh yeah. And they're ready, willing and able to give Mexico whatever they want. So, so amidst all this, you know, all this gnashing of teeth from agribusiness, there's this other side that says, we can do this. They're, they're our customer. Let's give them what they want, you know. Basic business 101. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I remember talking to Lynn Clarkson, and he actually had just given a lecture. Hey, customer, tell me what you want. You know, it's like, that's where we grow. Yeah. Um, I remember, to give a backstory, and by the way, Ken, Ken I know you're going to share about five or six other really good stories, but I want to spend more time on this one yeah. because its significance cannot be overstated. Yeah. I remember um, there was a memo circulating in around 1999 or 2000 in Ames at the University of Iowa, where it was telling the ag department, we should tell farmers to grow what customers want. Yeah. Except for GMOs, we should tell them, we should tell them to grow for GMOs, even if the customers don't want them. It was this mindset that somehow it was up to U.S. agribusiness and the land grant universities to push GMOs, irrespective of what customers wanted. Yeah. And this attitude, of course, has pushed GMOs all around the world. Yeah. Now, the the history of of corn in Mexico is one of it's a sacred plant yeah. it's part of their rituals it's part of their you know world philosophy it's part of their daily uh food yeah. and what happened during nafta is they allowed they were forced to allow u.s corn imports and the u.s corn was being um uh paid for in part by the u.s government so the the cost of buying U.S. corn in Mexico was below the cost of production in Mexico. So they increased the amount of imports from 2 million metric tons to 6 million metric tons. And about, I'm told, I may be wrong on the number, but at the time, I think it was about 2 million corn farmers left their farms. Mm. And many of them ended up migrating into the United States, right. some illegally. So we actually created the basis for that. Yeah. Now, they weren't allowing illegally to plant GM corn because Mexico is the source of the original genetics for corn. Exactly. And they knew that if it were planted, it would be a contamination event. 
And so they wanted to protect it. So they brought in food. But of course, when you when you buy corn as food and you give it to a farmer, they're going to plant some. Yeah. So it ended up being planted. And then there's the story of Berkeley professor Ignacio Chapella, who was just testing GMO uh, uh, a detection equipment in Oaxaca. And to his absolute shock, because he thought the testing equipment must be faulty, he discovered widespread contamination in Oaxaca at a time when growing GM corn was illegal. Yeah. Now, yeah. I wrote in my book, Seeds of Deception, how he was summoned before a government official and brought to an abandoned building surrounded by dump, and he thought he might be killed. Yeah. They gave him the impression they just intimidated the heck out of him. At a certain point, this official, according to Ignacio, allegedly was friendly and smiling, says, asked about his family and his child and where does the child go to school, and then told him you're going to retract your paper, you're going to say it was a mistake, and then you're going to uh, do some work, we're going to do some research and show, and the research is going to show, some good research is going to show that there's no contamination. So the the government official was telling Ignacio that they were what the results of the research was going to be before it was done and and basically wanted Ignacio to change his opinion Ignacio didn't and the official allegedly said we know where you're an impl implicated we know where your child goes to school <laughs> this was completely blew the mind of Ignacio Chapella but we learn later how close the government was to the biotech industry now that all shifted recently with the current government where they kicked out both GMO corn and Roundup and shocked the American agriculture. And they tried to sue, didn't they? They, they, they What happened when they tried to sue? Yeah, they um, tried to get an injunction to stop to stop these bans, but there was a, uh, a court in Mexico, a high court in Mexico, um, ruled against them. So... So the thing is, contamination is real. They were planting, I don't think they illegally plant GMO corn in Mexico anywhere. I know that the beekeeper was able to keep it out of uh, one portion, but I think it's illegal everywhere. But they, okay. did, they did plant GM cotton and 2,000 kilometers away, was it that distance? They found, they found contaminated cotton, natural oh, cotton. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I saw something about that. Yeah. And it was like, how did that happen? How yeah. does it travel that far? Yeah. I remember um, interviewing uh, a person who was an expert at um, air pollution. And uh, he had evaluated that something the size of corn pollen well, first of all, corn pollen is usually viable for only a couple of hours, but it's potentially viable for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And he looked at, he was from Texas, and he looked at the normal um, weather patterns in Texas and found a particular version that was extreme, but not, but, but still happened. And he mm -hmm. said that if that happened when the pollen was airborne, that the pollen could travel in 24 hours, 500 miles. <laughs> so, you know, we know that when blue corn was planted in the Midwest, two or three miles away, there were little single kernels of blue corn in a field. Yeah. Because pollen can pollinate per kernel in a corn yeah. through those tassels. But it's theoretically possible that it could be 
pollinating 500 miles away, depending on the air conditions, the climate conditions. Right. And, yeah, and it remind, yeah, it reminds me of a, a quote I heard Fred Kirschman say one time. He said, nature is hardwired to spread its seed. You know, it's just <laughs> nature yeah. finds a way. You know, you know I, I love the example of Hawaii. It was pure lava rock. Now it's a lush tropical paradise. Where did it get those seeds being 2,000 miles away from the nearest mainland? Right. And then right. and then Monsanto and the biotech industry have the gall to try and tell Hawaiians that they can plant genetically engineered crops and that they wouldn't contaminate next door. Yeah. It's like, guys, you're in Hawaii. Yeah. It proves that contamination can travel 2000 miles. And you're saying that you won't contaminate a field next door. Yeah. It was it was like it was ridiculous. Yeah, I know. And anyway, tell me, was there anything else that the Vice Minister of Agriculture said that uh, gave you a sense of why the ban was in place or the level of support well, he had for it? Or yeah, he, um, he just said that they want, um, as a quote, he said, the Mexican government is committed to a fair, healthy, sustainable, and competitive agri-food agri system and intensively promote agroecological and sustainable practices and reduce the use of agrochemicals. So agroecology, tell us what, I know the answer, but tell us what agroecology means. Agroecology, well, it's, um, it's similar to organic. It just means using practices that, that build biodiversity, enhance soil health, and are good, you know, <laughs> protect water sources, you know, no agrochemicals or reduced use of agrochemicals, no GMOs, um, you know, agro um, farming practices that are beneficial to, to everyone, to, to plants, to the environment, to the soil, to pollinators and to people, you know, healthy food, healthy plants, healthy people. That's, Rodale, that's a sign at the Rodale Institute says. Yeah, so it's what's interesting is the naysayers might claim, and we're going to hear a research report that also demonstrates that organic, which could be considered a subset of agroecology, um, that it can in fact feed the world. You know, people say, oh, agroecology, you know, that's just for backyard gardens and boutiques, but if you really want to feed the world, then you need you need monocultures with chemical inputs. Well, the single most thorough evaluation of how to feed the world was the UN-sponsored um, international study on advanced. Long acronym. I what is it? Long acronym. <laughs> The ISTAD yeah. report, the International Study for Agriculture. And <laughs> I used to be able to say it because it was published in 2008, so I had 13 years to forget it. Yeah, You got the acronym. I, I forgot the acronym. Yeah, yeah. I know. It used to be quoted like almost every week, several times. International Study on the Advancement of Agriculture, Trade, Knowledge, and Science for the... Anyway, I, I interviewed the the chair co-chairman of that i interviewed uh, the chairman of the different uh, regions like the continents i interviewed many people that had put that together 
And it turns out these were the more than 400 scientists were involved in writing it. And it was 2,500 pages. And it was like, what can actually feed the world, contribute to sustainable agriculture and eradicate poverty? And one of the conclusions was GMOs have nothing to do with those goals, zero. So they're not even considered, which then, of course, the U.S. government pulled its support out of the ISTAD report saying, no way we're going to pay attention to this because we live and breathe GMOs. But the recommendation that the ISTAD report gave was, over to you, Ken. Well, it was supporting agroecological methods. That's right. To, to feed the world. You know. And it was basically GMOs don't increase yield on average, whereas agroecological uh, methods can, in, can increase staples by 100% in terms of... Uh, of of yield. I remember quoting in one of my books, there was a, a study on 12 million farms uh, output and they found a 74% increase uh, from organic on average and up to 100% for some staples. And there's more research since then, since that was that book came out in 2007. There's yeah. a lot more information. In fact, yeah. you have one of the good news is your research, uh, you're going to share with research in Europe. About yeah, it. the um, the French National Center for Scientific Research, the acronym is CNRS, and they're considered to be one of the world's leading research institutes. And they just came out as just a couple of weeks ago um, with a, a report that said an organic, sustainable, biodiversity-friendly agro-food system could feed Europe's population by 2050. Um, and um, and it's interesting because some of the requirements for for that system are long diversified crop rotations, which is an organic practice, and as as well as um, integrating crops and livestock, which organic and regenerative practices do. So um, yeah, so they basically said organic practices could feed the world, and in fact. Europe has made a commitment, um, I think through the European Commission, that they want to increase their farmland to organic. They want 30% of their farmland to be organic by the end of the decade, by 2030, basically. That is incredible. I have to say, this is, this is you know, the change in the Mexico government from being lockstep with Monsanto is very big news. This is also very big news. A friend of mine was arguing with members of the European Commission to try and get them to back down on a farming plan for Poland several years ago and tried to convince them saying, if you implement this plan, it will be like what happened in, in um, Portugal, where you'll destroy all the small farmers and mm -hmm. you'll just end up with large farmers. And the response shockingly was, but you know, this is what we're trying to do. This is by design. We, they believe that only the large farms would actually work to feed Europe, whereas evidence shows that the, that the output per acre, the nutrition per acre, the ecological uh, footprint per acre is actually better on small farms. Yeah. And um, it also supports economic development, cultural diversity, diversity of seeds, which also means uh, resilience in times of climate change, as well as greater nutrition because you have a variety of different 
um, products that are grown on different uh, fields and farms. So right, right. it's um, th the fact that they now want 30% is spectacular. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Um, and in you know how they have to incentivize that? What's that? Do you know how they're going to incentivize that? Well, I know there's some governments like Germany and um, Denmark are providing financial support for farmers to transition to organic. You know, imagine if the USDA did that. Oh, my God. It would be it would. The USDA has been so pro Monsanto that even the FDA, where the where the GMO um, policy was written by Monsanto's former attorney, who later became Monsanto's vice president, even though the FDA is mandated officially to promote biotechnology, that wasn't good enough for the biotech industry. They convinced the Congress to pass what we call the Dark Act, denying Americans the right yeah. to know, and gave the USDA the, the mandate to create the, quote, GMO labeling bill. Right. which is a complete facade. Now that, that goes into effect, what, next year? Yeah, January of 2022, yeah. So tell yeah. us tell us what it doesn't do. <laughs> it, I don't, from, what, from my reading, it's, it sounds like it's the weakest GMO labeling law in the world. Um, it doesn't cover products that... Um, well, let me put it this way, Ken, Ken, let me put it this way, just to, yeah. you have pure genetically engineered soybean oil, doesn't have to be labeled, right. pure genetically engineered high fructose corn syrup, doesn't have to be labeled, you have gene edited mushrooms, doesn't have to be labeled, right. you have, um, uh, oh God, Can, I don't sugar, beets. sugar beets, sugar from sugar, from sugar, sugar beets, doesn't have to be labeled. So the vast majority of products that contain GMOs don't have to be labeled GMO. Right. And if it has to be labeled, it doesn't have to be labeled GMO. Tell us <laughs> what they wanted to be labeled, Ken. Bioengineered. They threw Which, but they don't even put that. They put BE. BE, -E, yeah. So I want to thank those in, in Facebook land because we had a, a contest to try and rename what BE should mean. <laughs> and people gave some great ideas, but I was part of the committee that chose my favorite. I forget who submitted it. Buy elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. If it's B, because the thing is, they don't want to say GMO because there's a stigma. And so there's a nice picture of a farm B. Field, yeah, Greenfield, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the companies don't even have to put that label on. They can put a website or a, a smart label, you know, one of those. QR code. QR codes, yeah, which nobody reads. I mean, the, the USDA did a, did a survey and they found that 70% of consumers don't don't even use those things. Yeah. So, and yeah. of course, it requires someone to have a smartphone, which is a way of, it's a classist thing. And then also, it's going to be in a, in a supermarket or a grocery store that has Wi-Fi or, 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 or coverage yeah. accessibility. And then it's like, oh, yeah, everyone slows down when they've got kids and they're, and they're creating yeah, right. their daily. It's like, let's do a QR code, navigate to a website, and figure out on the website where to go to find out if it's genetically engineered. Right, right. So it's together. interesting that the USDA is being run by Tom Vilsack, 
former governor of Iowa. He was the biotech governor of the year right. by the biotech industry yeah. organization. And then Sonny Perdue became uh, the USDA secretary. And he was also biotech governor of the year. Oh, he was? <laughs> yes. And now it's Vilsack again. Vilsack's back. Yeah. I remember speaking to Vilsack and, you know, raising my hands from the audience and whatnot. I, I asked him a question at, at a conference and then I, I published what he said because it was clearly uh, something that I wanted to get out. I don't think he was happy with me. Um, but he's now back as the USDA secretary. And he actually, there's some good news coming out of Vilsack. It's like this just in, headline news, Tom Vilsack is saying things which sound positive. Like what? Right. Yeah, well, um, the organic industry worked for I don't know how many years on these animal welfare rules, you know, to come up with rules for treating farm animals um, better, giving them greater access to outdoors. Oh, different. I should say something, Ken. If Tom Vilsack is listening, Tom or Mr. Vilsack, Secretary Vilsack, I actually am really glad that you're doing this. I've read some things that you did said lately that I really like. I think you and I should meet. In fact, you had said you're pulling together voices to be heard back when I asked you a question in an auditorium years ago, but you never met with me. I would love to meet with you and share some thoughts about genetically engineered microbes and why introducing them into the environment could be a cataclysm. And I have data, I have research, and some of the companies in the United States like Monsanto Bear are supporting the introduction of these genetically engineered microbes, which could collapse ecosystems. Yeah. Back to you, Ken. All yeah, right. so, um... So the, uh, the organic industry worked on these rules for a long time and they submitted them to the USDA during the Obama administration. And the Obama administration was going to implement these rules and then the new administration came in and they decided to kill the rules. Um, and and uh, so they didn't want them. So the Organic Trade Association filed a lawsuit over that. And then Tom Vilsack, Secretary Vilsack, spoke. He was a keynote speaker at the Organic Trade Association meeting a couple of weeks ago. And he said he was he was supporting supporting uh, reviving those animal welfare rules and getting them passed. So it and there were several things he, he mentioned at that meeting that were supportive of organic uh, farmers. He was um, he wanted to bring back the cost share program for organic certification for farmers where the USDA provides funds to help farmers pay for organic certification. Uh, the animal welfare rules, there was something about um, in, enhancing the fraud prevention program because uh, there's a lot of concerns about organic fraud. So, so he said some good things at that meeting. So it was people I love were, that. Um, yeah. I, I actually I'm so relieved. I've heard I've read some of the stuff, but it was before that meeting. I wasn't aware of that speech. I'm so glad to hear that because people that I know that know Tom Vilsack like him and yeah. and respect him. And like, I believe he's probably a very respectable, good man. And I also know that in his position, the USDA has been structurally running in favor of the biotech industry by design for 25 right. years. 
So even if he were anti-GMO, he probably couldn't express that in his position and stay in his position. Right. The fact that he's now stepping up in, in favor of some of these organic rules, that's really great. Yeah, and he wants to increase the funding for organic research. So, you know, he recognizes organic, you know, it's a 62 sales are now of organic products were over $60 billion, which was a record in, in 2020. It was a 12, more than a 12% increase over 2019. <laughs> so, you know, he sees organic as it's a, it's, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar business and that, that needs support, needs support from the government. So the, the previous food, administration did not. The previous administration was hostile to organics. Food basically um, doesn't progress that much year on year on. Right. But organic has been like the the wonder child. It's like zooming ahead. But to some point, at one point years ago, it was twenty percent a, a year. But then it could yeah. couldn't sustain that level of growth, or it would have, you know, compounding interest would have taken over the universe. Right. But um, but now at 12% is enormous. Now, one of the things that you and I talked about in previous meetings was the pandemic inspired people to eat healthier. Right. Yeah. You know, exactly. yeah. Hello. You know, it's like you want an immune system. You have an immune system. You want to feed it. Don't feed right. it. Monsanto's Roundup. Right. Feed it organic food. Are you kidding? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's what people were doing last year and, and, and continued. Uh, I interviewed executives at some organic food companies like Nature's Path and Amy's and and Eden Foods. And they all said sales were just through the roof, you know, during the pandemic because because people saw organic as a healthier choice to build immunity. And that is just continuing. Um, organic sales are just continuing to be strong. So it's uh, a good trend. It's a good trend. That's just going to continue. My Facebook is frozen. I hope our, our Zoom isn't. But anyway, um, I think we better wrap it up just in case it is, because I'm going to have to ask you to do the whole thing again if it is. <laughs> have you ever been interviewed and someone said, oh, um, we got to do it again because the tape isn't rolling? <laughs> no, fortunately not. You I probably have. have. You probably have. Yeah, I have. I've interviewed so many times. A thousand, I think. Yeah, many, many times. Yeah. yeah. All right. So we covered increase in organic. We covered the 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 research out of France. We covered Mexico. We covered the good news from Vilsack. Um, and there's also um, a class action now against Paraquat, which is they call what glyphosate 2.0 yeah yeah there's an iowa farmer actually is leading this lawsuit um because paraquat has been linked with parkinson's disease so there are more than 100 lawsuits being filed against syngenta which makes paraquat and also chevron chevron makes uh, paraquat and paraquat is banned you know, it's 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 legal in the U.S. to use Paraquat, but it's banned in 30 countries, including all the EU countries, and even China. It's banned in China, which you don't think is a bastion of environmental protection. You know, so yeah, it's glyphosate 2.0. Um, so we'll see. It could be uh, same thing. What happens with what happened with uh, glyphosate? 
So the backstory is that they don't have a lot of chemicals left that act as herbicides. Right, right. So when they sprayed Roundup everywhere, the weeds developed, weeds outsmarted Monsanto, developed resistance. Right. So what happened then? Then they uh, decided to, to use dicamba, an older herbicide that has, that has major drift problems. It, it turns from a liquid to a gas and, and spreads for miles, uh, damaging other crops and um, fruits and vegetables and, and things like that. Since it's been introduced, dicamba has been an absolute disaster. Um, there was a, uh, the largest peach producer in Missouri, Bill Bader, filed a lawsuit against Monsanto because he lost 30,000 peach trees to dicamba drift. Yeah, then, he and, and he won the lawsuit. He won, he won the lawsuit, yeah. And it, he got 15 million for compensatory damages. And what was the punitive damage? Punitive damages was what, 200 million or something? 250, 250 million. And you know what happens is it's like, we've covered this once, but this is so, so typical of the biotech industry. Ridiculous. I mean, who thinks this way? So dicamba, everyone knows that dicamba volatilizes, moves and can damage neighbors, right? So they predicted that the amount of complaints would go from a handful, literally a handful, 40, 50 in an entire year, to thousands. They predicted, this is what came out in the discovery from the trial. They knew yeah. that it would damage tremendous numbers of acres. They're talking about thousands of complaints. Yeah, I don't know what the average farm size is in, in the Midwest. I don't know, 10,000 acres? 1,000 acres. 1,000 acres. So they, they know it was going to contaminate or da damage millions of acres. And they their thought was, if it damages other soybean acreage, where where then it'll force the farmers to buy their soybean seeds, which are resistant to both Roundup and to dicamba. Dicamba, yeah, yeah. And was it also the, the, the cotton as well? Yeah, cotton, yeah, dicamba. Uh, so both, well, they were yeah. like, this was a, a, a business plan. It was a business, a business plan. plan to extort, to, I don't know yeah. if the word is extort, but it's like, we will damage your crops unless you buy our plants so that we will not be damaged. And so a lot of farmers did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like what the mob used to do, you know. And the thing is that it's what Monsanto did when they when they sent out the crop cops. They would they would pretend that someone's farm was was contaminated and send them a letter saying, We think you've used you've used, reused our seeds. Uh, and so you have to give us $170,000 and we may not sue you. And they made poster children of these people. They made yeah. it very high profile. So everyone was scared to plant non-GMO because if they planted non-GMO and the crop cops found any contamination on their property, they could be sued by Monsanto, like right. Percy Schmeiser. Right. So this this mob mobster uh, attitude worked for them in the past. Yeah. This became a uh, uh, this became apparent in the dicamba trials. The jury was at the it was a jury trial, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. furious. It's like, yeah, sorry, fifteen million for compensatory damages, two hundred and fifty million to punish you, to punish you. 
punitive damages. It's like by the third roundup trial, so much more information had come out about the devious um, nature of what Monsanto was doing to hide their carcinogenicity of roundup. The jury awarded like 51 or 52 million in compensatory damages to the couple, the Pilions. Oh, but right. in the in the punitive damages, two billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's yeah. like you know, and of course the jury, the, the judge reduced it because right. it was above the legal limit and whatnot. But I mean, I, I sat with the Pilions after that night. After they I turned to him and said, "What's it like? You were just awarded two billion dollars," and like he said. It's totally surreal. <laughs> I, I don't even know what that number is. I can't yeah. visualize it. And like down, <laughs> down at the end of the table was was uh, Lee Johnson, who was the first a person who won the first case, right? Yeah, right. And he yeah. had been given eighty nine million, right? You know, but that, which was also lowered by the by the courts. But he's finally got paid, and it's it's all good. So anyway, uh, uh, it's yeah. because the, the the information is getting out. And when the information gets out, people like the vice minister of Mexico don't have to get their information just from the U.S. trade representative right, and right. from Monsanto. Right. Speaking of which, the U.S. trade is he still is he still pushing Monsanto wares all over the world? I think so. Yeah. I mean, there was there were emails that were found, you know, about this whole Mexico thing. Um, Emails showed that the uh, U.S. trade rep was, you know, was pushing um, Mexico's counterpart to uh, to back down on these bans. But so, so far, Mexico is standing firm, and I hope they continue. I'll tell you one story before we go, which I love. It was early on in my international activism. I mean, I was doing local activism 25 years ago, and then I published my book in 2003, Seeds of Deception, the first one and um, very quickly ended up in Cancun. Like within, mm. within 10 days of my publishing the book, I was at the World Trade Organization meeting. Uh -huh. And um, there, was a, there was a press conference with the US trade rep and the US secretary Ann Veneman of the USDA. Now, when I thought of press conferences, I thought of like, you know, maybe 25 press in a room. And I said, great, let me ask a question of them. So I walk into the room because I have a press credentials, right? Yeah. So I walk into the room and there must be at least 600, maybe a thousand press. It's a full auditorium. There's a bank of cameras. They're up on stage. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's like hundreds of press. <laughs> so um, I'm a little nervous and I don't get nervous speaking in public, but I'm a little nervous. <laughs> and uh so it's like, okay, we have time for a few questions. My hand goes up, they don't call on me. My hand goes up, they don't call on me. They said, okay, one more question. It was the fifth question. My hands comes up, they call on me, right? So here I am, and I, and I describe this whole thing about GMOs and say, you know, now that we've now discovered that this problem and this problem, and then, and Zol, forget the Zol, I forget the, the trade representative. He said, Zelik, Zelik. Zelik, yeah, yeah, Zelik. He said, I'm having trouble hearing you. Everyone laughs. <laughs> Everyone laughs because, yeah, of course you don't want to hear this. So yeah. my question, of course, is giving out all this information about how GMOs were found to be dangerous and all this. And I asked their response. And so they both respond. Zelik responds, and then Ann Veneman 
says, we look at this very carefully. We look at the economics. We look at the agriculture. We look very carefully at the health. And that was a lie. Either she did not know or she was lying. So first of all, when I left the room, I was immediately surrounded by press. <laughs> they all wanted to talk to me. Right? But I was part of the press corps and the press corps, I, I wrote up, I has computers and printers and, and whatnot. So I typed up a press release and it said, and U.S. Secretary of Agriculture misrepresents U.S. GMO policy to the WTO delegates and world press. Mm -hmm. And then I described that there's no required safety studies yeah, yeah. That, 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 you know, and, and that there's absolutely a, uh, abdication of responsibility because right. she, she said that they look carefully of it. And I gave it to the, to the people behind the desk and I said, can I get some copies? And they said, how many? I said, 650. <laughs> they said, sure. <laughs> and I put one in every cubby of all the press all right. in the, in the, wow. that were there because everyone had their own cubby. So within a day, um, I got a call and it was like, can you speak in Brussels next next oh, month? Really? Wow. So I went there and I, Vandana Shiva was there and Christina von Weizsäcker, who's the daughter of, of the, was the, the then president of Germany. Christina ended up writing the forward to my book for the German edition. Vanda Nashiva wrote the forward to my book in the Italian edition. Um, there was a, Pat Mooney was there from ETC Group. But no one was talking about the health dangers and the corrupt captured approval system. Yeah, they were yeah. talking about their own areas. So yeah. I was presenting to this room full of the European Parliament, European Commission, everyone in Brussels gave new information that they had never heard of. And someone came up to me afterwards and said, you're the bombshell. Because if <laughs> what you said is true about GMOs, then it doesn't matter if they're bad for the environment. It doesn't matter that about patenting. They have to be removed. And I'm like, that's right. That's why I wrote the book. Anyway, it was it was like all of a sudden, just within within you know six weeks of publishing my book, I had been in um, in Mexico, then Brussels, and I was invited to Brazil, and then I went oh. to South America. Within nine months, I was in five continents, and I traveled eight of those nine months, and and then six to nine months a year for the next thirteen years. So um, oh. anyway. Now we have Now we have forty-eight percent of the world's population knowing that GMO foods are not safe, and fifty-one percent in America. And you and I, and all of our colleagues around the world, uh, yeah. can take credit for that. Right? Yeah, that's great. Good work. Uh, all right. So I want to I want to end by saying this: We just launched, and this is an information for you, McCann, because you don't know this yet. Um, we launched a white paper last week, and we have a. If you go to protectnaturenow.com, you can go to our take action, our advocacy platform and send that white paper and su summary to all of your elected officials. And it's about the dangers of GMO microbes. And last week we did a federal, a legislative report. This week it's the white paper. Last week we only had all of the US reps come up. Now we have US, Canada, Australia, UK, and EU, enter your information, all your reps come up, single click, you can send them, better yet, customize your message, then you can tweet them, then you can send information to media. Just in the US up to last week, we had reached over 2,000 members of uh, elected officials and over 1,300 media outlets. We're getting the information out that's absolutely critical because if you go to protectnaturenow.com and look at the film, which just won a Telly Award, Ta -da. Oh. Uh, 
called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, it's only 16 minutes, you will see that GMO microbes are an existential threat that can not only cause a catastrophe, but a cataclysm. So we're seeking to lock down the release of any GMO microbe into keeping it in the lab or facility and to not even do genetic enhancement of potentially pandemic microbes because they can be released accidentally. So, so we have a whole global plan, 50 global allies so far. And it's, it's many people who I've said, I, I say this to people, it's an existential threat on the level of climate change. And virtually every single person says it's more dangerous. I've asked eight audiences, do they think that GMO, this is GMOs in general are more dangerous than climate change. Yeah. And even at climate conferences, the average audience response is more, which surprised me. But we now have evidence that the microbes in particular are the most dangerous. And so I encourage yeah. people to go to that. And, and Ken, you want to interview me about the white paper, don't you? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'll have to do that. All right, good. Yeah. All right, everyone, this is Ken Roseborough. Ken, tell people how they can read your great words in your in your um, publication. Yeah, you can go to our website, um, non-gmoreport.com. We just redid our website. So um, check us out. There's a lot of articles there you can read. You can go, we also are on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can follow our news on, on those uh, social media platforms as well. So, and, for, and for those on your social media, you can also come over to the Institute for Responsible Technology or responsibletechnology.org, or as I said, protectnaturenow.com. You have a tremendous Facebook following, Ken, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, it's over 800,000 on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> so I want them, come to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't leave, Ken, just add me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Institute for Responsible Technology. Well, I think well, I think we post post things from your website. So oh yeah, I know you, you're great. You're yeah. great. I, we we share your stuff. You share my stuff. Been yeah. on the same team for a long time. In fact, yeah, we used to work in the same organization. That's right. Right, a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Two thousand. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah. 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 So we'll keep getting a lot of good information out. Yeah. All right, then. Yeah. All right, everyone. I'm going to just check. I don't know. Uh, I see a beautiful message from my friend Tom. Tom, I'm going to follow up with your, your request. I'm going to call you. Um, anyway, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Ken. Please right. check in with us after you put out your next wonderful publication. You give insights that no one else in the world has. You're very popular in the whole non-GMO movement and also among the farmers and the brand owners. They, they love what you're doing. They really appreciate it. And so do I. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're just finishing issue number 200. Oh, my God. You've been busy. <laughs> yeah, 200. I mean, Never missed crazy. a deadline. Never missed a deadline. Well, I'm happy, I'll be happy to, to blurb it and say, happy birthday, Ken, on your 200th. 20th, 20th year, 200th issue. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> All right, everyone, All safe right. meeting. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe.
This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.